some people may not want to do that at all. I would say, fine, you can avoid it as much as you want, but if it's, if it's limiting for your career, that's surely a miss. You may not want to do it all the time, but I think we all want to be heard. We all want to be seen. We all want to belong. We all want to contribute. I'm David Ote, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. When Anthony Poponi was a scientist working on wastewater, flow meant one thing. Now that he speaks on the science of positive psychology, flow means something entirely different. In this episode, you'll hear Anthony explain how doing scientific research led him to realize that what he truly enjoyed was something quite different. And that might be true for you as well. Welcome to another episode of The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Ote. In this program, we have a combination of content and conversations on topics related to giving more effective technical presentations, specifically or especially by telling the story of your work. And I'm thrilled to have a conversation today with Anthony Paponi, who we'll meet in just a moment. Um, he's going to tell us about his background in science and specifically in telling the story of the science that he does. So welcome, Anthony. Hi, David. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. I'm glad I made your acquaintance recently, and uh, I was very excited to learn about the overlap in our interests in terms of having a... Uh, well, you have a history of doing science, I have a history of doing engineering, and we both have a history of wanting to tell people more about how to communicate around those things. And so given that overlap in our interests... Having you on this program seemed a logical next step. Why don't you tell my audience a little bit about your background and uh, the, those that overlap in our interests as we've been discussing? Yeah, the, I might start with the overlap. I, I think we're both here to help other people, and you know, when we talk about what that looks like, it, you know, we're we're both helping put the best version of other people out there. And for you, it's, it's through this maybe um, barrier to, to effective storytelling and effective presentations around science. And I'm working maybe on the other side of, you know, the, the, the human being and lifting that person up and, and helping them just kind of see their own value in the world um, and to be happier. And, you know, I think we're both working from trying to help people be successful as well. And the science behind what I do is, you know, that uh, happiness causes success and not the other way around. So it sure is mm. nice to make people successful because, you know, they're... Um, the, the linkage there is very clear. In fact, the causality is different, but anyway, that's an aside. Um, <laughs> the, uh, my background was in science and, uh, and it still is today. I just am doing it in a different way, but I've, I've worked a lot in the field as a scientist and done a lot of data collection myself and a lot of, um, a lot of that work and then moved into different roles in science kind of as I recognized maybe where the right fit was for me with my skills and my passions and, and my interests. I see. I see. So uh, what you're doing now is is more, would it be uh, described as more um, motivational speaking or is that the right word? Yeah, I'm sure it's a mixture. Um, you know, I think with people in our profession, uh, professional speaking, uh, motivational speaking at a conference, for sure, uh, that is certainly a part of what I do. Uh, that is certainly informational and, and usually entertaining as well uh, and uh, and hopefully motivational. 
And then the deeper diving stuff that I do is working in workplaces or working with groups of people uh, where it's a little more personalized than trying to talk to an audience of 500 people. You can't be very personalized there. Mm. And then I do individual coaching as well. So that gets down to the you know more granular, working with super small groups, working with an individual person to kind of figure out their path forward. Oh, okay. So um, yeah. what... What would I be looking for? In I mean, what, what problem would I have for which I would be tempted to come to you to provide the solution? Yeah, so the, it, depends on, it depends on one of those three audiences, right? So on the personal level, somebody that's struggling with happiness, in a, and I don't mean like struggling in the sense of depression, but somebody that's looking for more mm-hmm. or looking to be more successful in work and trying to understand sort of the, the uniqueness of what they are and who they are and how to put that best version of themselves forward. Uh, within a workplace and maybe trying to improve team dynamics or team communication or teasing out uh, better leadership traits or character strengths. And then for a conference, it would be something along the lines of just something that's relevant to my audience that gets them inspired for being at a conference, seeing the value of the conference. And I, for nothing, if nothing else, like I think we all see the value of just getting together. Um, but there's real value in that support that you get at conferences, the expertise that you can access right there, you know? So it's, um, I think we're missing conferences for a lot of reasons. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I know I have been because I, I do speak at conferences, and uh, yeah. in the last year I've been doing doing that virtually. You know, by providing yeah. a video recording and then being online when that was playing back in order to take questions in real time as they came in. Totally different yeah. mode of delivery for me, and I imagine you've been doing things like that as well. Yeah, I have, and I've come to enjoy it. Uh, but certainly there's a really different dynamic from being on stage and being in front of people. And, and that may terrify some of the people that you work with who <laughs> might have to be <laughs> on a stage somewhere that don't want to be on a stage somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> that could be, that yeah. could be. Yeah. And, um, I don't know, I, I guess for some people, maybe it's more terrifying being on the stage and in, in the room with all those people. For me, I get a little more nervous when I can't see my audience and I don't really yeah. have any clue in real time how receptive they might be to yep. me and to my message. Um, yeah, it's really hard. And sometimes you have to just trust yourself and just carry on. Um, where I think that that's, um, that's not best practice for a live audience, you know, like you're really making sure they're with you in a live audience and, and paying attention to that. Is the message being received? Yeah. Yeah. And adjusting your energy level to the room and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. Being yeah. ready to pivot, take, take a turn if you need to. Yeah. Well, uh, I'd like to hear a little bit more about your background in, in doing science and how that led you to an appreciation that where your passion really lies is in communicating about that work rather than doing the, the field research and things like that. I'm sure my audience would be interested in some of your, some of your work in the field and, and how that led you into the speaking that you're doing now. Yeah, I, I, I think sometimes we we paint ourselves a little bit into a corner of, of like how to be of best service in this world, and and so over time, I had ex- I've experienced a lot of different types of working in conservation, um, data collection, environmental consulting, which was pretty broad. You know, put me in the field a lot in a lot of different ways, working for a, a small consulting firm doing mm-hmm. work with wastewater. Um, doing work, work with watershed protection and a lot of water quality work in there as well. And 
some people just want to be outside all day collecting samples, uh, mm-hmm. shocking fish. And I mean that in a <laughs> positive way. It's a, it's a data collection method. And right. Most people know that, but, um, and then some people just want to be in the lab processing samples. Some people want to put together the data sets and, and work through the Q and A on those things. And then some people like to communicate that stuff. And so, you know, science doesn't exist really in a vacuum without it being communicated. That can be in the form of a journal article that can be presenting at a professional conference. It can be in my case, sharing with my uh, clientele. And in my last situation is maybe where I really started to recognize and have validation of what my real niche was. And that was more of like the communication of science. So Mm. who's in front of me? What do they need? What's the right message for them? How do they see value in the work being done in the science realm that is maybe unpalatable for them? Like it's just too deep. A journal article, even the executive summary is full of too many acronyms and too many R squared values (laughs) for it to make any sense to them. And so that's what was the real, I think the passion for me that lined up my ability to distill and to see the bigger picture, okay. and then also to see who's in front of me, and then to take the science and understand the science well enough to, to represent it accurately, but at the right um, resolution, if that's the right word. You mentioned something I think is really important that I come back to often in this program, and that is, you said something about what your audience needs. Mm-hmm. Was there a, a moment or an event in your in this professional arc that you made where you realized oh this can't be about my information it's got to be about what the audience needs from me yeah i mean it happened a lot of ways and i i would say that also with the nonprofit work i was doing that there's also the need for the organization you're representing and part of that need is for them to be seen as credible and to be mm. experts and mm. to be valuable and to be a resource and so I think keeping that in mind is really important is more of the a higher level ulterior motive and ulterior maybe is a wrong word because it seems to be weighted with, um, with some expectation of where you're trying to lead people versus just doing good to do good. Um, but I think that there's been multiple times in there where I, I've just kind of recognized that I was doing work with sea turtles you can either collect the data at night working on a beach until mm-hmm. 6 a.m. in the morning, mm-hmm. starting at 6 p.m. And that's really hard. And it's really <laughs> requires a lot of rigor. And it's hard to do that when you're tired. Uh, or you can be the person that gives the presentation about sea turtles that gets people really interested in some element of the science without ha- them having to do the data collection. And that also serves the, the need of the organization and conservation uh, that's working to conserve turtles and get people to rally behind why the science is important. Uh, and or uh, making sure that the audience feels like, hey, I knew something different and new about my community or this place I'm visiting or these awesome creatures that are out there that make me connect to the world in a different way. So that's a you know one version of it. And I think that there's all sorts of opportunities in there where I've just been like, oh, like this is this is me thinking and being able to put myself in the shoes of the other people um, and to see the world from their perspective and try to to put things in front of them in a way that that matters to them. Hmm. I heard in that reply a lot of different needs being addressed. There's yeah. the need to get the information. There's the need to disseminate the information. There's the need to um, present your organization as being credible and having value in in terms of the work that it's doing. So when you're 
When you were planning a presentation like that, how did you find yourself working to address things at so many different levels? Well, I think the dangerous way to do it is to assume <laughs> what they need, right? Yes. And, you know, I, I would say that I'm intuitive and I also have a lot of experience in kind of understanding uh, understanding the audience a little bit just from, from past experience. Uh, I've been on the earth long enough to have made enough presentations and made enough mistakes maybe to know that. <laughs> um, but I think also just asking, I mean, sometimes you just need to be direct and, you know, sometimes people will tell you, you've got eight minutes. And then, so then you need to work back for backwards from what, what can be done effectively in eight minutes. That's meaningful to this group of people. That doesn't mean you get to dive into the day-to-day data collection on something. You get to talk specifically about, here's the bullet points from an executive summary of, of what this 60 page report would have looked like. Mm -hmm. And here's what I think you need to know as a town council. Here's what I think you need to know as a county commissioners. Here's what I think you need to know as a board of directors. Here's what you need to know as laypersons that um, are impacted by what's going on in their local community that might affect their health. So I think working back from those needs and just making sure that, you know, you're in their shoes and can think about their needs. And then also being asking that up front for sure. And then also creating space for, um, for feedback from that audience. I love that. Asking them up front, finding out what their needs are instead of assuming, right? Because a public Decision-making body, as you mentioned, a, a town councilor or, or county commissioners, they have a certain set of needs, you know, to be accountable to their constituents while making decisions that are in the best public good. And then if you're presenting f- on behalf of your nonprofit organization and you're seeking, uh, say, funding or something like that, that's that's a different need to a completely different audience. Yeah. And yeah. I, I would add in there, too, also think about what that audience, uh, what their tolerance level is of science or, and I mean that in a positive way of mm-hmm. what can they understand and not to treat them as if they're uneducated, but uh, for example, a town council is typically made up of people that have careers. Uh, it's definitely not in science in most cases. You right. know, it's somebody that's interested in serving their community. But they don't have a degree in engineering, and so you have to be thoughtful about how to present material to them that meets their needs, but also meets what they can actually process. And um, and being thoughtful about that. Mm. Yeah, I'm. As you were describing that, a sort of a Venn diagram started floating in yeah. my mind, right? Yeah. Um, what they need to know, what they can understand. <laughs> and you're, you're trying to find that, um, that sweet spot of intersection, aren't you? Yeah. It's a very different presentation when it's amongst your colleagues uh, than it is when you're in different audiences. Yeah. You just have to be really thoughtful about that. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you do. Well, I tell you what, um, we're going to take a short break. When we come back from the break, I'd like to hear more about your journey into the public speaking that you do now, which, as you say, has got a a different kind of uh, scientific underpinnings, perhaps, than talking about uh, the sea turtles and the wastewater quality. All right. (laughs) Yeah, so very different. Yeah. We'll be back in just a moment. I'm David Odie on The Power of Story and Science, and my guest is Anthony Paponi, and we'll be back in a minute. 
You are a knowledgeable expert, and you want your expertise to make a difference to your audience, but you can't see them and gauge their reactions. Therefore, you need new tools for engaging that unseen audience. Hi, I'm David Odie, offering you a way to pick up those tools. In my new self-paced online course, you will discover three ways to improve your story, one fascinating tool for hooking your audience's attention, and eight details in your physical environment that will set you apart from other virtual presenters. Today's technical presentations are going virtual. And that means you can reach a wider audience as long as you understand how to serve that audience. So join me for the online course, Own the Virtual Stage. Confidently connect with an unseen audience. Just go to ownthevirtualstage.com for details. And we're back. Welcome back to The Power of Story and Science. I'm David Odie, and with me today is Anthony Poponi, who has had such an interesting arc from collecting data and then discovering that his real passion uh, was not so much in the collection and even interpretation of the data, but in communicating what those interpretations were, and then went in a different direction. And that's what I'd like to hear about next, something that is scientifically rigorous, science-based, and yet you're affecting people in a, in a very different way, I think, than when you were talking to town councils and, and county commissioners about water quality and environmental quality. So I'm fascinated by that kind of story. I'd love to hear more about it. Yeah, it's an interesting story. Um, I think somewhere in there, you, if you're attentive enough to what you're doing with your time, you start seeing these moments where you're just like, Hmm, that was like a really good version of me that that was put forth there. It felt good. I was doing something powerful, positive, whatever that would be. And, and I've recognized and kind of glued together moments through my life where I, I've just been better off communicating with other people. And if it's a small group of people, fine. One-to-one, -one, fine. Do that well. Um, but recognizing that where other people have this extraordinary fear sometimes of standing on stage that I was, like, yeah, please hand me a microphone. Sure. I love doing that. So, um, you know, maybe there comes from some attention seeking behavior there and uh, desire to be front and center, but um, you know, recognizing that over time and just kind of seeing evidence after evidence of, Oh, this is what you're really good at. And so how do you do this as much as possible? Like how do you put yourself in a position to do the things that you love? Humor is woven into what I do uh, almost always. And so, I continued to explore that. And so moved into roles that would allow me to function in, at least in seeing opportunities to be part of the bigger picture, setting direction and vision, and then communicating those things and having a passion for it and bringing other people on board for missions. Some of that was speaking as a fundraiser. Sometimes it was emceeing for an event. And then I recognized that, you know, that speaking is something that I really should be doing more often and as much as possible, again, as much as possible. And so I just kept investing in that. And I, and I, I'm very mission-driven. I'm very nonprofit-driven. Um, it's been such a huge part of my past experience that I found joy in emceeing. And I still do some emceeing just for fun, for organizations, do some mm. auctioneering for people that need it. I've done that before, uh, but, too. That's a lot of fun, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, it's really different, right? And, um, yeah. and you recognize, I recognize somewhere in there that I wanted to have a, a bigger impact. And I'm not going to take anything away from MCs. I think making an event really enjoyable, getting people together, 
rallying people around a mission, making them appreciate the fact that the, wh- whatever they're doing, make it having some deeper sense of meaning there mm-hmm. is really valuable. So I don't want to take away from that at all. But I recognize that there was this nonprofit side of me that was really interested in, in, in service and doing something impactful to people. And the last nonprofit mission I worked for was Boys and Girls Club. And uh, it was the best mission I've ever worked for, lifting youth, youth up, primarily youth in poverty up. It parallels my own story. And so it made me just say, if I'm going to do this, then I want to be doing it in some way that has a pretty deep impact. So the connection there between the, the speaking part of this and the uh, science is that I found positive psychology that started back um, late 1990s. Uh, it came out of the uh, academic realm. And so the tools that come out of positive psychology are, are really powerful and empirically validated in a mm-hmm. lot of ways and, and come from science and come from testing in the lab, testing in the field, testing with populations so that they can say with confidence that these things work. It's not just somebody making it up and saying, you know, if you want to be happier, you should X, you know, this is saying (laughs) what we know about happiness is happy people um, find happiness through X, Y, and Z. And so do those things. And so that satisfies the, um, that scientist in me that would, that wants something that they can trust or I can trust. And then I can put forward with confidence to people that, um, that it's really powerful. And I think scientists love that, you know, we love to, to know that what we do is as credible as it can be and knowing that there's probably always budgetary limitations that keep us from doing the 30 year longitudinal study right. that the best we can do sometimes is, you know, what we have in front of us. So what we have in front of us, um, yeah. you said something really interesting a moment ago, you said mm-hmm. something about when you were, when you had an experience that made you realize you were being the best version of yourself. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, is, is there a, a particular time that comes to mind when you thought that was me being the best version of myself? Well, I, I think when it comes to the, the, what we're talking about and being able to communicate with people, it's come at varying times, you know, in, in my life when I've experienced at least in, in that vein of thought around how did, how did my ability to communicate effectively serve me and serve others really well. So I could go back to times with sea turtles. I could talk about the first time that somebody asked me to be an auctioneer for an event <laughs> and you know, that I was working in tandem with someone and we were doing this really well together. I mean, it, let me set some context here. It was a fundraiser for a nonprofit for animal welfare. And they said, would you be willing to be our auctioneer for this event? And I said, sure. And then I said, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, and, I, and they were like, well, you're going to get up here and you're going to basically just have a good time and make people laugh and get them to bid on items. And I was like, okay, fine. And recognizing that like, that was very easy for me. And so easy for me, hard for others, fun for me, fun for those in front of me serving a mission, you know, win, 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 win. And so then how do you pay attention to making sure that, you know, in different times in your life, like, where's that popping up? And, um, you know, in the science of positive psychology, we call that flow state in a lot of cases where you just lose track of time. You're focused on what you're doing. It's a good challenge, but it's a challenge that's in your sweet spot. And it's uh, something that typically you may not feel happy in the moment, but when you reflect back on it, then you see it because in the moment you're in the moment, right? And right. you don't have time for any other thought. So I think that I've also recognized that it brings me great joy um, to, to do that, to be able to go up on stage and to hold a mic for 45 minutes or an hour and tell a really good story and inspire people, entertain them. And, um, 
so it's it's come at different times over my career and um you know i would say one of the last times i did that was gave a keynote at a conference and and then hosted a workshop afterwards and i like to do that because you can have a keynote you can kind of give people a taste of who you are they get to know you get to like you right. trust you that you have good content and then you can do, go deeper in a workshop so a smaller group a little more time typically in those settings a little more personalized and it was went from a, a good keynote over into a workshop that was non-technical it was a very technical conference and it was it was for us you know standing room only mm. and that was maybe more recent validation of like yeah you have this i don't want to call it a gift because there's so much skill in developing it and i think mm -hmm. it's important to invest in the skill side of it um but to recognize that that was like me putting the one of you know the highest and best version of myself out there highest and best version of yourself you know i think the gift perhaps that you bring to that is is that gift of self-awareness yeah. You know, you realized that that was something that a you could do, b not everyone could, yeah. and c you enjoyed doing, and 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 you enjoyed seeing the the enjoyment that other people took from what you were doing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I and mean, it's it's interesting to think about what you're doing with people and where you're meeting your maybe clients on on giving their talks. You know, some people may not want to do that at all. I would say, fine, you can avoid it as much as you want, but if it's, if it's limiting for your career, that's surely a miss, you know, right. that, that you may not want to do it all the time, but I think we all, and this is even a part of my work, we all want to be heard. We all want to be seen. We all want to belong. We all want to contribute. And that's different for each of us. Um, and sometimes that barrier to us contributing fully is being able to communicate what we know. And so how do you make sure that that is not something that's holding you back from putting the highest and best version of you out there? Yes, exactly. How do you make sure that's not something that's holding you back? Yeah. Because you may have, uh, someone may have a real gift for the keen insight that, that leads you to do a particular kind of scientific research. But if you can't help the world see the value of what you have done, then it's not going to make as much difference. And it's not going to advance you as much professionally yep. as if people can, uh, can understand the story, the context. We talked about context a little bit earlier offline, um, you know, uh, how, how the context for a presentation would be different depending on whether you're talking to people who are already um, familiar with your, say, your scientific work versus a, a broader audience. For example, um, you and the work that you do now, you know, if you go in to speak to an audience about positive psychology and flow, um, I, I doubt that you're spending a lot of time uh, quoting from somebody like um, Sixth and Mahali, but I'm sure you're familiar with the work. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, whereas for a different audience, you might do that. It's all very contextual, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, that's incredibly important to all of it. Yeah. Well, uh, we're, we're nearing the end of what is, uh, for me at least, a delightful conversation. Um, yeah. Let me ask you if you'd like to wrap things up with um, sort of one closing thought that might be uh, uh, something helpful to people wanting to give a more effective technical presentation, whether to a technical or a non-technical audience. What is that, that one thing you have found that helps you move from... Uh, let's say a, a sense of apprehension more into a sense of flow about sharing information. Is there a key to that? Well, I, I think it's what we talked about earlier. I, 
it's about meeting a need. Meeting you know, a need. And yeah. I would say that it's the same thing with people that are doing sales or people that are doing fundraising, you know, that you can feel icky about being a salesperson or you can feel icky about being a fundraiser if you're asking people to give you money for something that they don't want. But if it's something that they want and you've established that between them, then you are assisting them in something that they need. And so I would mm-hmm. say it's very similar with a presentation in that if you've identified that you're going into this audience because you have something that is going to inform them of something that they need and something they want to address and something that's a problem for them, then I would say at least don't go in with the apprehension that they don't want to hear what you have to say, uh, you know, that go in with the understanding that you are a being of service to them. And I think that's probably, a, you know, get you out of your own way on that mindset to at least start. That you are being of service to them. I really like that. I think that's a great thought to encapsulate what we've been talking about. Um, I've enjoyed this so much, and oh, I hope that you have too, and I'm sure that our that my audience will enjoy it as well. Um, before I close, uh, what would you like to tell my audience about how they might follow up with you or, or reach you? Sure. Uh, they can find me at uh, focusonthe40.com, so that's focusonthe440.com or anthonypaponi.com. And, you know, I, I'd say that I'd be happy to help people with anything that they're struggling with. And, and I would say that I'm grateful for what you're doing because I, I don't want anyone to be held back by their own self-limiting beliefs. And if, if that one thing, that rock in their shoe is that presentation that they know they need to give and they don't want to give, then go do it because that in positive psychology is shown to be really powerful for you. And when you open that door to doing something differently, then more doors open that you didn't even see that existed before. So don't get yourself stuck and find shortcuts like, like David here to, to help you in your career path. Wonderful. Thank you for that. When you open a door, you find other doors that are going to open up that you didn't even know were there. What a great thought to leave us with. This has been another episode of The Power of Story and Science. And I'm David Odie, and I thank Anthony Paponi for the time that you've spent here today with me and with my audience. Thank you, Anthony. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much, David. For anyone who would like to follow up with me, perhaps uh, with a question or comment about the content of this program or a suggestion for a future interview guest, simply go to Story and Science. That will take you to the home page for this program, storyandscience.com. And I thank you for being part of the Story and Science community. This has been The Power of Story and Science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.